0: let's go through every single package installed on a linux install dvd specifically slackware 14.2 of course these are all open source packages that i'm talking about on this show so they probably can still apply to you even if you're not running slackware and even if you're not running linux these are open source packages so you can download the source code and run them on any computer whether you're running linux mac windows BSD doesn't matter. You can learn probably something from this episode. So let's get started. Hey, everybody. In the previous episode, I said that this episode was going to be about, I think, parallel. No, I said it was going to be about Perl and package config. And it turns out that I'm wrong. That would have skipped over parallel and patch elf. But I'm kind of. I, I, I kind of was ready to talk about Perl. So I think that this episode is. Is going to be about Pearl, even though it's not supposed to be about Pearl. It's going to be about Pearl, and then the next episode, episode four hundred and thirty, will be. Well, I'll, I'll 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 circle back, and we'll do a parallel and patch elf in those episodes. The reason I want to talk about Pearl is because there's a well, because I've been I've been preparing for this episode, looking at Pearl. Um, But I also want to talk about Pearl because there's a weird sort of uh, synchronicity happening here where I was just recently told on Mastodon by a few listeners that episode 414 is missing. That's 414, not 404. 414 is missing, and I didn't know why they didn't know why. It turns out that I had just kind of front-loaded a bunch of episodes. I'd recorded several episodes and had them stashed away on my drive and was posting them as as the weeks came around. So one week I posted four hundred and thirteen and then the next week I posted four hundred and fifteen and continued on from there. Just completely forgot to post four hundred and fourteen, which I had recorded. So episode four hundred and fourteen is about choosing a programming language. And I I I didn't remember what it was about, so I had to listen to it again to fix the um the feed. Which by the way, so if you if you've noticed this past week that four hundred and fourteen popped into your podcatcher, your feed reader, whatever, that's why I just I just reposted it today or, or rather I just posted it t- today as if though it had been posted all along. So the episode I didn't remember what it was about, but it it ended up being about choosing a programming language and it kind of goes it, it talks a lot about sort of the things that you need to consider before you choose a language and I wish I'd heard that recently for myself for my own reminder. Edification, because there are a lot of principles in there, and a lot of sort of uh, warnings and and musings in there that I have neglected to consider very very recently. A couple of weeks ago, I was I, I sat down and was really trying to think of what would fill the gap between a uh, what what I'll call a simple. Well, a simple scripting language like Bash and a rather large, complex language like Java. I'm I'm really enjoying Bash. I always have, ever since I read and wrote my first Slack build script. I've just I thought Bash has been absolutely great. It's easy to understand, it's easy to learn, it's easy to read. And it's really, really capable. And I, I think that the entry point to bash is easy for most Linux users because if you're using a terminal anyway, then you're using Bash. You may as well script in Bash because cause that's what you know. And the more you use your terminal, the more you know bash. The more you script in bash, the more you know when you want to use your terminal. It's it's a self sort of fulfilling kind of um cycle. So bash, love it. And I'm really enjoying Java. I can't tell you the the just the joy that I get from open when I open an application and it just works on whatever platform I happen to be on. Now, admittedly, I happen to be on Linux all the time, but at least I know that that application is also going to run on whatever other app, whatever other, other platform. And and the reason that's important to me is because, well, first of all, I think it's smart design, and then secondly, because I think um, that I feel less of an expert in computers if when someone asks me, "Hey, what can I use to perform foo?" and I have no idea what's available for their platform. But if there's an application written in Java that achieves task foo, then I'm able to easily say, and confidently say, well, I use foo.java, or whatever. And the, Or foo.jar, I guess. And and the reason that that's important is, in addition to just feeling like I I have an answer, is that I feel confident in the answer. So it's not just a foo.jar that I found randomly online and it says it works, it's a jar, so it ought to work with their OS. It's because I've used it, because it's a Java application. I've used it, I trust it, and therefore I can recommend it. Because I don't recommend stuff that I don't trust. It's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't feel good about doing that. And furthermore, I don't believe that that's a recipe for success. Because they're going to come back when it breaks and ask me, for help or ask me why I recommended such a horrible application. You know, it's a reputation thing, I guess. So, Java I really enjoy, Bash I really enjoy, but sometimes I need something a little bit more powerful than Bash, not quite as powerful as Java. So, I was looking at applica I, w- I was looking at scripting languages or or I was looking at languages, right? And so, I mean, one of the things that I that I I often look to for that sort of middle ground is Lua and I still look to Lua as as that sort of middle ground. I, I I quite like Lua, so there's nothing wrong with Lua. I like it. It 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 actually does kind of fill that gap really. But I'm always looking for other stuff, right? So I, I looked at things like Go, and I looked at um well Rust, believe it or not, but that's like that's a bit a bit more towards the Java side I think than than anything. Uh, and 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 then. This episode came up, and I realized I should look at Perl. Oh, you know what else I looked at was Groovy. And Groovy was quite nice. Groovy is maintained by the Apache Foundation. I enjoyed my time with Groovy, with, with Groovy. but unfortunately, Groovy, I think, sees itself... I'm, I'm going to assume that they see themselves largely as just kind of an extension language for Java, because I developed a project with Groovy, very simple little uh, text-parsing project, not a big deal, I really did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed the syntax. There were some really elegant ways to parse. Uh, I was parsing YAML, and it, it was really worked out nicely. And in the end, unfortunately, I was just not happy at all with the results um, because there was no delivery method. They just kind of forgot, I guess, to provide a way to distribute your application without also requiring your users to install your job, their Java stack and a groovy stack and to always run your your application as just a Groovy script, there was there was no way to sort of like bring it all together and just kind of make that be an application. So I I, I was disappointed in the end at the the lack of of a an of a, of an efficient and and I don't know reliable delivery process for Groovy. And if there's a better way, I mean apparently Gradle has a better way, but it it involves like creating I think a, a very fat jar with the Groovy libraries and I think Java in it or something. I'm not sure. Um, it, it's it it seems a little bit more complex than what I'm able to focus on right now. So I've I've largely walked away from Groovy, and I was I was kind of hoping because of its integration with Java, I was kind of hoping that that would be sort of that 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 middle ground, and it ended up really not being that middle ground. I mean, it could be, but it's just the delivery process, not for me right now, at least. So this week, preparing for this episode, I started doing a lot of stuff with Pearl, and I have got to say, I'm really, really impressed. Um, Pearl has had a little bit of a rough go of it lately, and I have some thoughts on why. And I guess I might as well get through those thoughts first, and then have a coffee break, and then talk about Perl in earnest, like, let's learn Perl together right now. So, Perl, invented back in 1988. That's before Linux. Linux did not exist when Perl started being a thing. That's pretty incredible to me. I mean, it's not not amazing. I, I know that the history of computing did not begin with the beginning of, of Linux. I, I understand that those are two separate things. It's just, I think I always sort of associated Perl with Linux... Because they are just within four years of each other, I think. Like, Linux is what, like 92, I think? And then Perl, 88, whatever. So, I mean, it's it's not... You know, they are close. They were kind of happening, you know, if you think about it, that this sort of, that if you think about computer terms of the 90s, that was an exciting and weird time for computing. And so Perl and Linux... Ramping up, sort of in parallel. Yeah, you do kind of associate the two together, maybe, and and certainly Linux systems have a lot of Perl scripts associated with them. Like you come across Perl if you're digging around on your Linux system, even if you never wanted to know that Perl existed. It doesn't matter to you one way or the other. There's Perl there. So I think that Perl, and and this is the impression I get, just kind of from from reading. Um, and and sort of from hearing about people who have been into open source and Linux longer than I have, I, I feel like Perl was kind of the de facto language at the time. Like that was if if you didn't want to write everything in C, you know, you were looking for something. Well, like what I'm doing, right? I mean, you're looking for something a little bit better than your 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 shell of choice, whether it's Bash or Corn Shell or C Shell or whatever. You're looking for something a little bit a little bit more robust than that. Especially at the time, like you have to keep in mind that certain certain conveniences we enjoy in Bash certainly today are are relatively recent developments associative arrays in bash i i believe i should check on this and I, i'm not going to but um I, I believe that that was an introduction you know relatively recently that that wasn't something that early early bash would have had so maybe you're trying to get something better in than, than shell and not quite as low level as c Perl probably was i mean was was the thing that you would use and it was open source and it was portable across different POSIX systems so i mean it it was it was an, an important important language at the time, and you 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 can still see that like I say in your Linux system, and you can kind of if you started using Linux back in the early two thousands or earlier, you'd know that you would know that Perl was a big deal because there were th- I mean there was literally a DVD ripper. DVDs are little they're sort of plastic metal discs. I actually happen to have one right here. Um, and they contained digital information on them. They, it was a storage media, and it was called an optical, optical disk or optical media. And you, uh, there, were, there were drives that you would put the DVD into, and it would spin around and read with a laser. There was a DVD ripper written in Perl, and it wasn't just like a, a terminal command ripper. I mean, it actually it, it actually had a GUI. It was called, I think, DVD colon, colon, rip, something like that. It was written in Perl, had a GUI. You'd never know it was Perl. It it just felt like a normal computer program. And I say normal, meaning, you know, early on, still not really familiar with this whole code stuff. I didn't know Perl from, from Python, but there's this application helping me rip my DVDs. And how great is that? How cool is that? And that was written in Perl. And then obviously there are lots of other examples. Like there are Perl programs to configure your network or to uh, choose your network or to, I don't know, um, do whatever. You know, it was, it was there, there were lots of Perl scripts out there. They were being used. They were actively being maintained. It was good stuff. And so it had a, a, a strong, strong impact Entry, I think, and then unfortunately, I believe, and I'm not convinced of this, but I, this is my impression. My impression is that around, you know, sometime in the early 2000s, I think two things happened. I don't know how much, if at all, they were sort of like, um, maybe not related. I don't think they were related at all. But did they have an effect? Did they have a compounding effect on one another? I don't know. One thing that happened was that this new thing called Pearl Six came out. And if you've listened to this show, you've probably heard me even mention this, because it was a thing that was happening for a long time, I think up until 2019. And this is being recorded in 2021. So um, from about, I don't know, 2000-something up to 2019, I mean, who cares? What 2000? Let's say it was 2010. Who cares? For for a good chunk of time, there was this thing called Pearl Six. And at first it was going to be the, well as the name implies, the next version of Perl. Perl 5, Perl 6. That's how those things work. But apparently people got really upset about the syntax of Perl 6 and said that it was it was just not Perl 5. It just wasn't Perl. It was a different language. This could not, Perl 5 could not shift into Perl 6. That was not something that could happen. It was not a progression of the language. It was a complete reinvention of it. And people got very angry about that. And so you had, for a very long time, two websites, Pearl.org and then, I think, Pearl6.org or something like that. And at some point uh, along the way, the, the, the official story changed from, well, Pearl6 isn't the next version of Pearl5, uh, of Pearl, it is a sister language of Pearl. So you have Pearl version five and Pearl six, but they weren't that that they, they weren't successive. So then there were questions of well if, if Pearl five is Pearl five and Pearl six is taken by a different language, that implies that Pearl five is therefore the last because you, you you couldn't have a Pearl six dot and a pearl 6, like that, that wouldn't make, that would make even less sense than having a pearl 5 and a pearl 6 that are not related. It'd be pretty weird to have pearl 6.0000 and a pearl 6 that are not related. So, um, that seemed to cause a lot of confusion. I mean, it caused a heck of a lot of confusion with me because I was, I, I was actually taking stabs at learning pearl for, for, years, and I mean not consistently, not constantly rather, but consistently. Like I would look into Perl and try to determine, okay, what's actually going on? Do I want to spend my time learning Perl 5 only to have it die and realize that I now have to learn Perl 6, which is apparently is a completely different language, or should I just learn Perl 6? But nobody ever seemed to think that Perl 6 was legitimately Perl, and so everyone would refer me back to Perl 5. But Perl 5 was the end of life of Pearl, as far as I could tell, and so why would I learn a dying language? So that was a big, a big, big problem, and you can probably see at least some of that history online if you go looking for it. It has somewhat, I, I, I will say, I think it has been resolved, because apparently Pearl 6 is no longer called Pearl 6, it is called Raku, R-A-K-U, and it is completely a new language, it is a, it's its own thing, it has no relation to Pearl... It is not going to take up the namespace of Perl any longer. It is its own thing. You can learn more about it at Raku.org or something like that, I think. Is it Raku.org? Is it that simple? It is. Raku.org. It is that simple. Raku is a different language, and now Perl 5 is free to grow and to thrive and to develop on its own, and it will apparently develop into Perl 7, which, presumably will be an actual outgrowth of Perl 5 it will not be like some new language that we'll have to rename yet again in 10 years so i think that that confusion really hurt perl quite a lot i think that that branding error just caused so much legitimate fear uncertainty and doubt that it i think it probably lost a lot of its um its user base or or rather i should say I think it probably lost its ability to attract new users, because people didn't know where to go. And when I say people, I mean me. I don't have any other anecdotal evidence. I'm just saying when I would ask about it, people didn't seem to understand really what to say, and I certainly didn't understand where to go, and so I just got the feeling that there was a lot of confusion about it. The other thing that happened around the same time was the rise of python, and i i don't i don't know you know I haven't been tracking python for 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 forever i, I it it has a history that predates me uh, it first appeared in nineteen ninety one and I don't know how quickly it it became popular i, I you know I, I just wasn't around the computing scene at that time, so i don't know, but I do feel whatever did happen that python i mean it's unquestionable that python started to overtake perl and i don't know when that happened but i get the sense that it it happened more recently than than perl so for, uh, for instance like maybe around you know 2005 2010 that that sort of area that's where i feel like python started to get really really popular I could be wrong, and and I accept that my history is not, you know, well-researched. But from my impression, I certainly felt like when I started getting into computing, Python was sort of getting a push into sort of normal users' hands. And I felt then that it was kind of a new thing. I felt like this this is a new thing that people are realizing that Python can be used for system administration, Python can be used for graphical work, Python can be, you know, it's sort of, it became like this, people were sort of realizing the potential of Python, whereas I feel like, or the implication was that they hadn't really realized it before. Because you'd hear things like, Python is really powerful now, or something like that, you know, something to indicate that in the past it hadn't been taken quite as seriously as it now was being taken. So I feel like Perl identity crisis happened. Python started to develop into its own, and they just crossed paths. They just, Perl went down, and Python went up, and that's kind of where we are today. Now, that doesn't actually mean that Perl is any less powerful than it was back in the 90s. It just means that it has lost a user base, and I I don't need a, a language to be terribly, sort of, popular in the sense of, like, an emotional need for a, a popular language. Um, I, I do like a well-supported language, you know? Having a 100,000 libraries on cpan.org for Perl is, for instance, better than having 20,000 Lua libraries on Lua Rocks, if you get what I mean. Like, the, the, the user base is important in the sense that the less work you want to do, the more libraries out there you want to have access to. And if you're using something that is very niche, then you will find yourself rummaging around a lot more for example code or things you know code to steal, like libraries to copy and paste into into your file so that you can adapt it for your own purposes, or just flat out inventing your own your own system. So. That can be that can be that can make it a little bit tough, and so Perl is looking really really appealing to me uh, in that sense as well. Just the 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 way that it is really really well supported, that's kind of appealing to me. Another thing about Perl is that it can be compiled. You can actually compile Perl. Now that it it's not just magic. It doesn't just spit out a binary that just executes on anything. Uh, it it does bundle Perl you know, per, the, a Perl binary in with your compiled code, so it's going to be a lot bigger than a script, but, I mean, it is an option. It is something that you can do. You can compile Perl, your your Perl script, into a, a binary executable and send it out to people, and as long as their architecture is the same as yours and their OS and so on, their ABI, all that, it'll work. So that's that's a cool option. Probably not not something that I'll really use all that often, but it is, it is kind of neat that it's there. Otherwise, Perl is just going to work on a lot of platforms. I mean, it'll definitely work on Linux and macOS out of the box, more or less. You'll probably have to worry about versioning and compatibility for features, but if, if you're talking about a POSIX system, a Unix-based or a Unix-like system, Perl is either going to be easily available for it, and it'll be super easy for someone to install because it'll be be really integrated into that system, or it'll already be there in the first place, and your Perl script will run. So, not really bothered about compatibility. I think it's it's it's. It's got the user base it needs, it's got the infrastructure support it needs, it's got a lot of libraries, it's just got all that stuff, and on top of all of that, it's a really, really beautiful language, and I I know that I've heard somewhere that Perl is a very ugly language, and that no one wants to ever see it written, and, and it's it's a terrible thing, I don't know, I've heard things about Perl that, that say that it's not pretty. Now, I often wonder about that sort of critique, because really, code is written by humans, and if a human wants to write their code in a certain way to make it quote-unquote beautiful, then they they can choose to do that. So it, it is an odd critique to me when people say that this code is ugly, because, I mean, all code can be made to be ugly. It's just It's just how the human writes it down. So whether it's ugly or pretty, I mean, aside from those being subjective values anyway I find at least uh, uh, you know in insofar as I have looked at Perl, I find that it is extremely extremely consistent um, and also extremely extremely clear in its definitions. I would probably say that it was clearer than for instance Lua, which I find Lua is pretty darned consistent but but Perl has little little notations that it does throughout and you'll you'll see some of them as we go through it. Um, after the coffee break, that just that that it it lets you know, it gives you little cues about what you're doing and what kind of data you're using and and things like that. And it, it's it's really quite quite stunning that it was designed that way. That it's just these are things that that the designers of the language decide or i guess maybe the designer of the language decided that this this would make sense for a program there, there are a couple of exceptions which i will point out um there there's one exception specifically that 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 really causes me pain but it it is it is a a really nice and sort of logical language in its design we'll, we'll get to that more First, we're going to go have coffee, we'll come back, and then we'll learn Pearl. By the end of this episode, you will know Pearl. Got coffee. Kilimanjaro coffee is what it's called. I don't know if it's actually from Kilimanjaro. I'm not sure, but it is really good coffee. And I want to talk about Pearl. Uh, I want to do Pearl lessons now. So um, first of all, there is a great, great website called PearlTutorial.org or something like that. I'll put it in the show notes. And it is really, really re- well written. It is probably, honestly, one of the best written tutorial. Languages, language tutorial sites I've ever, ever read. It is amazingly well written. Go check that out if you're really interested in sort of learning what Perl does and how how you can do stuff with Perl. It's an amazing, amazing site. So, so parts of this are based on that site um, very roughly, but other parts aren't, so we'll just we'll just go through this thing. So first of all, Perl um, expressions. A, an expression in Perl is anything that returns a value. So uh, if I write one, the the, the n- number one, that's that's an expression. If if Pearl were to see that, it would think that's an expression. Why? Because it returns the value of one. Similarly, if I were to write the number five, that would be an expression because it returns the value of five. And when I say returns the value of, it, it kind of means just just when you look at it or when Pearl looks at it and sort of. Processes what that means in your head. You get an image of what that means to you. Whether I don't know how you visualize numbers, but you know you might think, okay, five, so five apples, or okay, five, so five fingers. Like whatever you think of, you know, however we, conceive, we we perceive of numbers, that's what that conveys. Similarly, something like uh, dollar sign var plus dollar sign foo is an expression. Now, that's containing variables, and so I can't tell you what that returns, but it would return a value. What, what value would it return? It would return the value of the contents of var plus added to uh, the contents of foo. Now, there are also statements in Perl, and statements are made up of expressions. A statement ends in a semicolon, so something like dollar sign c equals dollar sign a plus dollar sign b semicolon is a statement in fact we could write we could run our first perl statement in a terminal by typing in the word perl p e r l space dash e and then single quote print parentheses double quote hello world um, backslash n to give us a new line double quote, close parentheses, and then of course we have to do the semicolon, because every statement ends in a semicolon, and then single quote to end the whole Perl expression that we've just typed. So that's Perl-E quote, print, parentheses, double quote, hello world, backslash in, double quote, close parentheses, semicolon, close quote. If I hit return, I get the words hello world in my terminal, and then a new prompt, because that expression has been, or that, that statement has been run. So that's that's a Perl, a Perl statement. And then there are also Perl blocks. Perl blocks are contained within braces, curly brackets, and it delimits, for instance, a function, or a, what they call a subroutine in Perl. So if you have a bunch of statements that you kind of want to group together, you can put them in curly braces, and that sort of, that, that keeps them as a little group and that has ramifications on how variables act inside and outside of those brackets, but we'll just call that a Perl block for now, and we'll come back to that later, when we look at actual subroutine Variables in Perl are denoted by some prefix symbol, and then a word of your choosing, and then a value. So for instance, let's say that I want to create a variable that has the contents of um, hello, Perl in it. So what I could do, again, just in the terminal, not even gonna open up a text editor right now, I'm just gonna do Perl E for, I think, expression, and then space, single quote, dollar sign var, for, short for variable, dollar sign var, I'm just making that up. I could call it dollar sign penguin, dollar sign um, uh, beastie, dollar sign whatever, but I'm going to do dollar sign var because it's short. Dollar sign var equals, and then double quote, hello, pearl, close double quote, and then semicolon. Why a semicolon? Because that was a statement, and every statement in pearl ends in a semicolon. But instead of closing this this statement i mean i could close the 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 this expression rather this this pearl phrase but then nothing would happen like if i i close the quote with a single uh, close the um expression with a single quote hi, i hit return no, nothing happens. so I'll, I'll hit up again and i'll remove that single quote so now i've got the var equal hello pearl semicolon and then i'm going to do another statement because i can do that uh, i'm i'm in a terminal and i haven't closed my quote i can just keep writing so I'm going to do print, and then uh, parentheses, double quote, dollar sign var. So I'm asking it to now print the variable that I just created. Print that variable, followed by a backslash in to give myself a new line. Of course, I could have put that backslash in in my hello perl, but I'm just putting it here. Close double quote, close parentheses, close semicolon, close quote. Hit return and I get hello pearl. How did that happen? I said print dollar sign var. Well, dollar sign var of course refers back to dollar sign var, which I set to hello pearl. The dollar sign in front of var indicates what kind of variable or what kind of data that variable contains. Um, the the kind of data that it contains is called a scalar or a scalar s c a l a r. Some people know what that is already. I didn't. I had to look it up. I've never heard of this term before. Scalar is a physical quantity that is completely described by its magnitude, according to, what was that? Britannica.com. It's apparently like a mathematics and physics term. Um, I gather in in programming, in computer science, I'm gathering what that refers to is kind of an an atomic unit, like an atom, you know, like a a thing that is complete in and as of itself. That's what I'm gathering. And if you know more about scalars and why that data would be called a scalar, you can certainly email me and let me know. Um, I don't know anything about it, first term I've heard of it. Um, well, not not entirely first time. Actually, the first time I heard the term scalar was uh, in the YAML spec. It, it refers to some of its data types as scalars. Um, so that was the first time I'd heard of that. So anyway, that data type, scalar, um, is is denoted by the dollar sign because apparently, or or maybe conveniently, uh, the dollar sign looks like an S scalar. Are there other types? Well, sure, there are. There's, um, for instance, an array. You could create an array of, of things, which I don't know that I'm going to get into today, but you could do it, and in that case, you would use an at symbol. So if I wanted to create an, an array uh, in Perl, I could say instead, Perl-E, single quote, um, at var equals, and then come up with some some, some values. So, for instance, um, I would have to use this fancy qw keyword that Perl uses to uh, denote quoted text. So I'm going to do um, at var equals qw parentheses foo space bar space baz close parentheses, semicolon, close single quote, and nothing happens, of course. So then I could say, for instance, print, parentheses, dollar sign, or not dollar sign, double quote, uh, dollar sign, var, square bracket, zero, close square bracket, close parentheses, close semicolon, oh, I forgot the the double quote, so, square bracket, zero, square bracket, close quote, parentheses, semicolon, single quote. And then I get the word "foo." okay, let's slow down. That was a lot of information. so what what what's going on here? And this is the one thing that really kind of annoys me about Pearl's design, And I'm sure that someone somewhere has really good reasons for why this makes sense. I mean, I know the reason it makes sense. I'm sure someone somewhere has a really good idea, a, a good reason for why this is a good idea. But anyway, Here's what we got. We got Perl dash E. That's just me in the terminal saying, hey, Perl, I'm going to throw an expression at you. This is kind of an ad hoc way of scripting. You know, you think of a script usually as well. I'm going to open up a text file and write a bunch of lines of code, and then I'll close the script, and then I'll, I'll run the script. Perl can do that. Just You know, you can just write expression uh, statements in a terminal and pass that to Perl just like you can with sed. do sed-e, and then a bunch of sed statements, or or rather, a sed statement, then another dash-e, and another sed statement, and so on. Those are just expressions, expressions, expressions. So, perl-e, that's just to get me into my perl mode. Um, Because perl, unlike, for instance, uh, Python, doesn't really have um, what you would think of as an interpreter. An, an, an interactive, that's what the term I'm looking for, an interactive mode. You know, there's no idle for Perl. So the best way that I've found if you want to do ad hoc stuff is to just run it as an expression on in your terminal. So Perl-E, and then single quote. So that's that's the delimiter for, for us being in, in, in the terminal. This is the expression that Perl is being thrown. So I did an at var to create an array, and then i said equals qw qw means quoted words i think and then you do parentheses and then foo space bar space baz close parentheses that's essentially the same as saying here's an array i want it to be full of quote foo close quote close uh, open quote bar close quote open quote baz close quote so that's just that's just a shortcut for Perl to know that, hey, I'm being lazy, I'm throwing three words into an array, but please treat them as three separate entities. Don't put them all together. So that's simple. Semicolon. And then I said print, which, you know, we've already done that before with hello world. So print, parentheses, double quote, dollar sign, var. So we're we're referring back to the variable. But wait a minute. The variable was at var. Specifically, it was at var because it was an array. Well, this is where it gets a little bit messy with Perl. So they go to all this trouble to make it really clear as to what kind of data a variable has. It's a scalar. It's an array. Um, yeah, well, it's being a little bit too clever, I think, for its own user's good. Um, uh, that's my opinion. I'm sure there's, there is definitely an opposing opinion here. Um, and that would be that, well, you know, you're actually pulling out a scalar. Like, yes, you're referring to var, at var, but the data that you're getting out of that array is a scalar, and therefore you must use the scalar notation, not the array notation. So in other words, because we know that var square bracket zero, the zeroth item in var, which happens to be foo, we know that that item is a scalar. So when we refer to it, we have to Call it a scalar. Dollar sign var, not at var. Square bracket zero, close square bracket, close quote, because we're printing that string, and then close parentheses because that's this expression that we've just created, and then semicolon to close that statement, and then single quote to close out our terminal um, session, or our terminal command, I should say. Hit return, and indeed you get foo. You run that same command again, but with var one, dollar sign var one instead of dollar sign var zero, you get bar. You do it again, you get baz. So that's those are variables in arrays. Remember how I said I wasn't going to get into arrays? Um, well, I mean, there's still a lot more about arrays that I'm not going to talk about. Push, pop, things like that. won't get into that, but it's it's pretty pretty reasonable stuff. If you ever have dealt with arrays, you get the the hang of it pretty quickly. You, you get the idea, oh, push is adding something to an array, and so on. Okay, anyway, those are variables. I think for me, the main thing to, to take note of there is that variables are preceded by some kind of special prefix character. And I I think this is hugely important. I can't imagine why anyone would not like this. I think this is vital to a programming language. Yes, I feel strongly about this. I, I, I don't know why people would not agree with this. It just seems to me like it's logical to make it known when a variable is a variable. Not for the program, not for the computer. The computer can can figure it all out, like, through compilers and lexers and stuff. That's fine. But for humans, it annoys me to no end when, for instance, in uh, anything, any language, you can... Um, refer to a variable you can create a variable and then refer back to it without any kind of special notation so to you or rather not not to you maybe to you but certainly to a new person who's not familiar with the programming language yet foo and print look exactly the same print might as well be a built-in keyword it probably is and foo might as well be a built-in keyword probably isn't var could be a built-in keyword. Again, probably isn't. But there's no notation there to let them know. That's why a lot of times in the applications that I, the little scripts that I do write, I try to remember to like capitalize all the variables make them all caps. And I know that looks like like something out of, you know, basic or something, but but honestly, I think it makes sense because then you're you're broadcasting to the reader whether that's you in in a year or whether it's just to someone who's wandering by to your open source code. We, I mean, it's open source, so presumably there's some educational value implied here. Um and, and they can't tell whether var refers to some kind of magical function of the language or whether it's just something that you made up. So I, I really dislike it when there's not sort of at least a convention. Like, you know, at least in Java, you, you tend to have sort of, you know, if you read enough Java, you start to realize, okay, so the convention here is that we're going to capitalize, we're going to knit capitalize the class no matter what, and then the functions are going to be a uh, camel case starting at a lower case, and, and the variables are very frequently going to be sort of descriptive phrases with underscores and that's gonna uh, that that'll be how we talk about variables you know so you kind of you do start to get sort of some feel for it but i love this explicit sort of like hey if it's a variable you are going to instantiate it and then refer back to it with a dollar sign in front of it or an at sign or sometimes an at and sometimes a dollar okay that's a little bit rough but the point is you've got a you've got notation there identifying it as this is not a keyword This is a variable. You made this up. That's significant. There are different kinds of variables, too, by the way. There's a local variable, which gets preceded by my. Now, in any kind of terminal example, that's not going to actually matter. But if we were to do something like perl-e var equals hello, perl, we could do instead perl-e my $var hello, perl. And then that's a local variable. Again, it wouldn't actually matter in this case because there's no scope where a local variable would fall out of detection, but that is a thing. If if it's just $var, then it's considered a global variable, and so anything in your script can see it. Up until I think very recently, all variables in... I want to say Python were global. I I could be making that up, I could be wrong about that, but I feel like for a while all variables in Python were global. And then they started doing um, sort of a recognition of local variables, and certainly, generally speaking, bash variables are often pretty global. Uh, you can do local local variables in a function in bash that then just kind of they only last for as long as that function lasts. They're just variables for that for that one section, and then they go away. Th- those are useful sometimes. Sometimes you just want a quick quick variable that you're going to use just as a utility. And then you don't need it anymore, because the functions run its course, you're, you're done with it. So that's kind of useful. So there's my v- variable, there's um, variable, global variable, just variable. And there's also a uh, fairly new type called our variable, which, um, has, which, which can be read across uh, modules or libraries or whatever. Okay, so, those are variables. Let's talk a little bit about the way that you control how the program sort of runs, really. Um, Let me see where I am. I'm not in a good directory here. I should go to a demo directory, and I'm going to create a file called, um, I guess, just hello.pl, and and we can create a a little demonstration of just an if-else statement. It won't be a very good demonstration. Um, I'll say dollar sign $var equals... Well, I guess I'll start with shebang slash user slash bin slash Perl. And then I'm going to use warnings semicolon and use uh, um, strict semicolon. I kept wanting to say static, and I knew that wasn't right. Use strict. So use warnings tells the Perl uh, application... To warn you when it detects something that might be amiss and then use strict tells it not to run if it finds an error and that can be useful um, just you know for the obvious reasons I mean you get warned about potential problems and then you don't get to run code if it's just flat-out wrong which I know I've talked about this before I think in a hacker public radio episode uh, not about Perl but about XML it seems weird that you want something to be strict don't you wouldn't it be nicer if it would just enter a quirks mode and just kind of make things work not really Like, you think you want that, but you really don't. You want it to be right, because right is, it tends to be more predictable than something that's just kind of making stuff up. Okay, so, dollar sign var equals one. That's just a normal statement. We've got a global variable, it's called var, and it is equal to one. Now, let's do an if else statement. So we'll do if, parentheses, dollar sign var equals equals one, uh, then we'll open up uh, so one, close parenthesis, so I, I think I forgot to say the characters that I'm typing, if, parentheses dollar sign var equal equal one, close parenthesis, open curly brace, print, parenthesis, quote, hello pearl, backslash in, close quote, close parenthesis, semicolon, and now we can close the curly brace. New little subclause here, else if, and that is E-L-S-I-F, so that's yet one other form of the, the phrase else if that we all have to remember can't believe how many different languages decided to do some different variation of else if, and I can't believe that we as a as a collective have not decided that we are going to just make them all equally valid no matter what the language. For instance, elif, else if, else if, else if should all be valid no matter what. Anyway, else if, e-l-s-i-f, parentheses, dollar sign, var, equals equals, I don't know, 99. It'll never be equal to that, so this will never happen, but uh, close parentheses, curly brace, print, nope. Close, quote, clo- quote, close parentheses, close semicol- or, uh, semicolon. And then the word else. Curly brace, print, parentheses, quote, no again, because again, this will never happen. Close, quote, close parentheses, semicolon, close curly brace. Now, if I run that in my terminal, so I'll just do perl.slash hello.pl. Then I get um, some warnings. I get the, the warning that the global symbol dollar sign var requires explicit package name. Did I forget to declare my var? Well, yes, I did. I did forget to declare my var. So I'm going to type in my dollar sign var equals one, uh, semicolon, and that should eliminate those warnings. Now I'm going to do pearl dot slash hello pl, and now it. Should be happy, except that apparently I did actually get something wrong. So let's let's look at this. Um, so on line 13, apparently near else, I have some kind of error. What did I do wrong? It says I've got um, an error missing right curly or square bracket. Yep, I did not close my else if statement. Is good to know. And now I can run pearl. slash hello.pl and I get hello, pearl. Of course I do, because w- what else would I get? If I set var to 99, my var to 99, then I get nope. And then if I get, um, if I set that to the string foo, then I get argument foo isn't numeric, and I'm trying to compare something numeric to a string, and that doesn't work in line 8. That, that makes good sense. Alright, so in that case, I'll just set it to um, 1024, and I get no again. So I've triggered the if, the if else, and the else statement, and it does pretty much what 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 one would expect. Um, there are obviously other kinds of control control mechanisms in Perl. There are while loops and for loops and and so on. And I could go into those, but I think you get the general idea. It is a I guess mostly a, a C-like syntax, I guess, and it's a little bit self-explanatory, I feel. Or not self-explanatory, but when you see it, it makes sense. I don't feel like it's... I, I feel like it's pretty much... You know, it is exactly what you would expect if you've ever programmed in anything before. And if you haven't, that's fine. They're easy enough to look look up and and mimic from, for instance, perltutorial.org, or whatever that site is. Alright, there's a cool little thing about, um, about Pearl, though, about the if statements, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I chose it specifically to, to bring into this, into this episode. There's a, I'll do a hello, no, not a hello, let's do a, um, let's do an if Pearl if that um, so now we're gonna have to do all the boilerplate stuff again, which I don't really want to have to do. So I'm just gonna insert hello.pl and get rid of everything but the top three lines. But I'll still read it out. Uh, hash exclamation point slash user bin perl and then use warning semicolon use strict semicolon and then I'm gonna do my dollar sign var equals one uh, or or I could do you know whatever three why not. Uh, And then I'm going to do print, parentheses, quote, hello, Perl, uh, backslash, n close, quote, close, parentheses. And then I'm going to do space, if, parentheses, dollar sign, var, equals, equals, three. Close, parentheses, close, uh, do do a semicolon. So there's this weird sort of way to qualify something in Perl with a, a trailing if statement. It's just... Do the thing. Oh wait, only do it if if such and such is true. That's really nice. It's kind of, it's an easy, it's an easy kind of addendum. And you know, I mean, I saw that and I'm just thinking, why would anyone say pearl is not beautiful? In in many ways, that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I mean, if you read that out loud, then it makes total sense. I don't know that I'd structure all of my sentences this way, but if you read it out loud, print foo if variable is, is equal to one. That's how we talk. That's exactly what we would say. do this as long as something you know it's just it rolls right off the tongue and the fingers it's i think there's there's a lot of beauty in that, and it's really clever and really convenient and so i'm 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 very impressed with that little trailing if statement i I really, really like that I mean it's so much better than something like if parentheses var equals one, close parentheses, then semicolon print such and such close if statement that's like. That's a whole structure for just something that we just wanted to say, do the thing if something is true. Just, just do the thing as long as this, this condition is met. It's, there's a lot of beauty there. I really admire that one. Okay, anyway, um, I'm going to talk about subroutines now. And subroutines is what Pearl calls functions, apparently. Um, I, I, as far as I understand, subroutine and function completely interchangeable terms. You can just throw them around one after the other. No one will blink at you. Um, so I'm going to call this one called uh, subroutine.pl, and then I'm going to put hashbang slash user slash bin at the top. I'm going to do use warnings semicolon use strict semicolon, and then I'm going to start the function. And the function is created in much the same way as you would in any other language. You type some keyword to denote that you're creating a, a function or a, a subroutine. So that's the word sub in this uh, in this in this document sub. Space sum. Well, sum is what I'm calling it. I could call it penguin instead, but I'm going to call it sum. I guess we could do sum num. Sum num. S U M capital N U M, curly brace. So no, no double parentheses or anything like that. Just curly brace. We just go straight into it. And then I'm going to do something like my dollar sign total equals zero semicolon. And then I'm going to do a for loop. So we'll do for space my space dollar sign I dollar sign I of course is something that I just I'm just inventing it's a variable I'm going to use it as a as a counter it's not a big deal I'm just going to throw it in there dollar sign I parentheses at underscore don't worry I'm going to explain this close parentheses, and then open a curly brace for my for loop. And then I'm going to do dollar sign total plus or equal, or plus and equal, dollar sign I, semicolon, close curly brace. And then I'm going to do return, space, dollar sign total, semicolon, close curly brace to close out my function, my subroutine. Okay, so I think most of that is pretty obvious. It's like, I'm creating a total, and I'm setting it to zero. That's easy. The initial total is zero. But then I get into this for loop. And the, the for loop, I feel, is, you know, it starts out normal, whatever normal is. But it starts out kind of, okay, for, my dollar sign, I. So for some for some item in, uh, in a list, do these things. And the confusing thing here, I think, for the a subroutine is what that little at underscore would be. What is that? Well, so this is really cool. So in Perl, when you create a function or a subroutine, um, when you create a subroutine, anything you pass to that subroutine when you call it is dumped into a special variable, which is at underscore. It's just kind of the most minimal-looking variable you could ever want. At underscore, it just means all the stuff that got dumped into the subroutine is now in this array. And you can query that array and get the values out of it. And I'm, I'm querying that array in a for loop. So this is the most it's just a beautifully simple way to iterate over an array that I didn't even have to work to create and then to do some things with the things in the array. So what can we do with this? Well, let's just make a our our little program here you know that that's in a function. it's not going to run. Like, if I just ran that, I'll save that, I'll do slash subroutine, yay, nothing happens. I mean, like, it read the file, it didn't give me errors, but the function never triggered. It just, it's just a function that is never called. So I need to call it. So at the bottom of my file, the one thing I'll do here is I'll do print ampersand sum num, because that's the name of my function. So you put the ampersand sign in front of your function. Once again, it's really nice. You know now that sumNum isn't something that that exists in Perl normally. It's something that I've created for my my program. And so I get a special character for that. I get the little ampersand sign that I get to put in front of my function name so that everyone knows this is a function that I've created. And then parentheses, I don't know, what two numbers do you want to add? How about 22 and 44? So, parentheses 22, comma, 44, close parentheses, comma, quote, backslash in, close quote, semicolon. So I've just told it to print the results of my function and then append it with a a, a new line. So I'll save that and I'll run it again, perl.slash subroutine, and I get returned 66, which of course is correct. 22 plus 44 is indeed 66. So once again, the way that I called that function was ampersand sumnum parentheses 2244. Those, that 2244 ended up in an array called at Uh, Yeah, at underscore. I extracted those values with a for loop for my dollar sign I, parentheses, at underscore, close parentheses, and then I opened up some curly braces and I did a total, I did some incrementation, incrementing of dollar sign total plus equals, that's just shorthand for take total and add to whatever it is currently, dollar sign I. What is dollar sign I? Well, dollar sign I is iterating over over at underscore, so at first dollar sign i has 22 in it so i'm saying total which is 0 plus or equals pl- plus and equal to 22 now it's 22 so total is now 22 put that on the shelf circle back around dollar sign i iterate over the array now it has 44 in it okay well total is set to 22 currently so, plus 44 now equals 66. So, put that on the shelf. Total is 66. Circle back around. Dollar sign I. Iterate over at ampersant uh, ant underscore. Oh, there's no more values left. Okay, well, we're done then. So, we skip down to return total, and that's what gets returned for the print statement. Print 66 and a new line, and that's what it does. So, uh, more or less pretty easy, I think um i feel like that's pretty much what i would want out of a function and i feel like the the way that you just get your arguments into your function sort of for free i just feel like that's really nice like i didn't have to tell that function what to expect or what it requires it just you just throw numbers into it or you throw data into it and it gets put into an array and then you, you figure out what you want to do with the contents of that array. I don't know if there's some, you know, there's there's probably an argument out there that it would be better to declare what kind of data is expected in a function. Like, I, 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 I do see that, but then again, I'm looking at this very much as the filler for more complex and really simple languages, so I'm willing to accept A couple of shortcuts and um, and and sort of the knowledge that I need to check my data types, what data I'm getting into my function in order to make sure that this is robust because Perl's not going to do that for me, and that's fine. I don't mind that. Okay, so let's put all of this together into one of my must-have basic applications for any application for any language that I that I learn and that is a dice-rolling application. So, ampersand, or not ampersand, hash, exclamation, slash, user, slash, bin, slash, perl, use warnings, semicolon, use strict, semicolon, I'm gonna make a variable called my, dollar sign, num, underscore, args, equals, this this is a little bit weird, dollar sign, hash, argv, semicolon. So argv, A-R-G-V, all capital, is the, that, that's how you get all of your all of the arguments that someone has passed to your script in the terminal when they launch it. So in other words, these are all the command line arguments passed to this script. They're contained in argv. Dollar sign $hash is, a, is, a, is, is the way that you get the number of args in argv. So I'm saying to set dollar sign num args to however whatever number of args I have received. And I'm going to use that information to catch errors. So I'm going to do an if statement. If space, parentheses, dollar sign, num underscore args is less than, so it's the less than symbol, symbol, the left pointing bracket, angle bracket, I should say, zero. um, I think I mean, yes, I do mean that. Do I mean that? Or do I mean one? No, I I think I mean zero. Uh, Parentheses, close parentheses, and then open curly brace, print, quote, you must provide a number of sides for the dice. Close quote, semicolon, exit, semicolon, close curly brace. Of course, in real life we could parse args and see that did, did they ask for help or we could give them help? we could give them a menu or not a menu but like a yeah a helpful message of of what kind of arguments they need to provide and so on next line sub roller so i'm making a new subroutine called roller curly brace my dollar sign roll equals int parentheses rand parentheses dollar sign underscore square bracket 0 close square bracket parentheses, parentheses parentheses semicolon that sounded complex but you you kind of already know what's happening there i'm creating a variable called role, and I'm setting that to an integer value. That's int, integer. So I'm converting whatever data I see in what I'm about to get to an integer. I'm making sure that it's going to be an integer. Parentheses rand, R-A-N-D. That's a random function that you get for free with Perl. So that's just the random number generator. You don't have to generate, you don't have to start a seed, a random seed, or anything like that. Perl takes care of all that for you. You just get to call it for free rand parentheses dollar sign underscore square bracket zero close square bracket. Well, this is the same old thing, right? We, we take the we, we take the at underscore array that we get for free in a subroutine, but we're pulling a single value out of it, and we know from experience that if you're doing that you have to do the dollar sign underscore. It's ridiculous as that may seem. Square bracket zero, because we just want the first one, the first and only one, to be honest. Uh, and then we close all of the, the, fra- the the expressions out with parentheses and semicolons. And then I'm going to do print dollar sign roll, comma, quote, backslash, in close quote, semicolon. That's the whole routine. It's a whole subroutine. So I'll close the, the curly brace, and then I've got the word roller, because that's my function. Oops, I meant ampersand roller, and then parentheses, dollar sign, argv, square bracket, zero, close square bracket, parentheses, semicolon. So I'm just, again, invoking my function, and as the singular ar- argument to that function, I'm passing the zeroth entry in the command line arguments that I've received from the user. So now I'm going to invoke that on in the terminal, perl space dot slash dice dot pl, and I'll just do that. Should get an error, and I do. It says you must provide a number of sides for the dice. Okay, well, hit up, and I'll enter six. Two, two, four, one, five, four, four, two. Okay, so I'm not getting, Wow, I'm not even getting five, to be honest. That's really weird. Okay, there. I got a zero, and then I got a five. Notice that I'm not getting a six, and I could do that with, let's just do two-sided die. That would be like a coin flip. I'm getting 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 0, 0, 1, 1, 0, 1. So, in other words, this is a non inclusive situation. We're, we're getting, from our random generator, we're getting everything up to 6, or up to 2, or up to 20, whatever sides, we're, we're, we're always getting 1 less than what we specified. That's an easy fix. Go into my subroutine for the roller, go to print dollar sign roll. Well, instead of printing dollar sign roll, let's just print. Dollar sign $roll plus 1, comma, quote, backslash, in, close quote, semicolon. And now if I do uh, a dice, a two-sided dice, oop, I just did an emax instead of pearl, dot slash dice, pearl 2, uh, I get a 2, I get a 1, I get a 2, I get a 1, I get a 2, I get a 1, I get a 1, I get a 1, I get a 1, and so on. So now I've got the, the sort of the illusion of, of, of starting at 1 rather than starting at 0. And that's it. That's that's Pearl. That's everything about Pearl that you need to know. I feel honestly. I mean, that's that's everything. You, you get that far and you now know what you need to do. You just need to go read up on functions, you need to go, you know, like, literally, like, what functions there are in Perl that you can use. And there are, you know, there are all the usual things, like string concatenation, and string parsing, and data conversion, and math operators, and so on. And then there's a bunch of libraries, and, and you do need to figure out how to use libraries, obviously. But but all of that, I mean, that that fits into this exact framework. This is i think surprisingly similar to or or familiar i should say it's surprisingly familiar if if you've if you've been doing even just bash honestly there's a lot of stuff here that's going to feel pretty pretty similar to to just what you've been doing in bash anyway it's going to feel similar to you know if you've been playing around with c or with java or lua like a lot of this is just going to feel really, really similar to to sort of some of the the languages that you may or may not have been playing around with already. Um, obviously, if you haven't been playing around with languages at all and you're completely new, this is probably going to... I mean, this would have all been new information for you, and maybe it's not quite as simple as I'm pretending like it is. Um, but I do think that it's within reach. I think Perl's reputation as kind of... Um, an old, old language that's that's gone past its prime and so on. I I, I was surprisingly I, I, I felt like that was surprisingly not deserving of that reputation. I, I was I was really expecting something a lot more confusing when I when I came to Perl. And I gotta say it's 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 surprisingly logical and structured and, and and any kind of thing that you've heard that it's ugly or that it's confusing or that it's over complex or it's arcane. Uses you know. It's got notation that doesn't make any sense. Well, that's just not the case. It's 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 actually quite nice. And um and once you get used to what some of those symbols mean, like the dollar signs and the at symbols and the the my keyword. What does my mean? Well, now you know. It means a local variable. That's all it means. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that scary. Um once you get to know those kinds of notations, then then it becomes even more readable. And I mean, certainly if you look at any other language like Python, if, if you don't know the meaning of, or, or the, the tradition of if, I don't know, if true, like what does that mean? That's not readable, if true. Well, it is if you understand that if, that true is always true. And so if you're saying if true, then it's just, yeah, it's whatever. Or if foo, or if bar. Well, that doesn't make any sense unless you know that in python something resolves as false if it doesn't if it hasn't been declared and something will be true if it has been declared then then it starts to make sense and so on so there's there's a lot of ability to make a programming language not make sense but once you know the notation then it starts to make sense and i think that perl actually does really well with being readable and making sense and um and and writing you know producing beautiful code, and certainly it does great at producing results. I mean, it, it, it really does. I mean, I've used Perl for a long time. Not, not Perl the language, sorry. I've used things written in Perl for a long time. Never been disappointed. It feels very fast, very sort of native, on a, uh, at least on a Linux system, because that's where I've used it, and no complaints. And um, I'm really excited to have come to terms with it now and to kind of have, have discovered what everyone has known for, you know, I don't know, 30 years or whatever. Um, now I understand what the big deal was, and I think that, in a way, I think it's it's kind of a big deal now. I think it's, um, a really powerful language. It's got a lot of cool conventions in it. It's got nice syntax. I look forward to doing a little bit more with Perl, possibly a lot more with Perl. So, there you go. Now you know a little bit of Perl, and you know that it's not as scary as you may have thought it was. So go check it out. That's it for this episode. That was the Perl episode. Next time, we will go back up the list momentarily to cover Parallel and Patch Elf, and then we'll continue with Package Config and PMake and Python and Poke and other things like that. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next time.